Welcome back for the first time to uh, X-Men 92 versus Young Justice, where we cover uh, one of the great 90s cartoons and one of the great late aughts and then uh, early 20s cartoons. This is X-Men 92 and Young Justice. We are part of Uncanny Treks. I am Bob from Cascadia. That's Matt from the Southland on the line. How you doing tonight, Matt? Doing really well. I'm excited because uh, the nostalgia trip has just been incredible already, and we're only in one episode, so... You putting that nostalgia straight into your main line, Matt? Oh, yeah. Feels good. Pump me with that All nostalgia. Right. Be sure to tap the vein before you plunge it in. <laughs> All right. So tonight we're talking uh, Night of the Sentinels Part 1, which originally aired on the 31st of October, 1992. And that's the first episode of X-Men 92. And then we're talking about Independence Day, the first episode of Young Justice, which originally aired on the 26th of November, uh, I guess, in contrast to what I just said, 2010. So, in the A-plot of Night of the Sentinels, Part 1, a sentinel, in search of Jubilee, laid siege to the mall where Storm, Rogue, and Gambit are shopping. Yes, yes. And so, you wanted to uh, begin at the beginning, as it were, Matt? Yes, Bob, we got to start right at the beginning of the intro. Okay, that music, that... That music is amazing. What you, you like? You like that better than the uh, X Moon? X Moon? <laughs> yes, Bob. It. I mean, they both have their their pros and cons, but geez, that music once it hits, you're just like, Urgh! like you just feel like your imaginary claws come out of your out of your knuckles. So, uh, is that what happens? Yeah, the claws just shoot right out of them. So the final sheets, huh? Yeah, well, you want to put, like, butter knives between your fingers and just start clawing up the, in the living room. Yeah, yeah, one, one definitely does. But I, I do want to point something out that I never noticed, and I've seen this show, like, I've seen every episode of this show, I've watched it crazy. I've, oh, then you've seen more than I have, okay. I, I've rewatched it, like, on when it was on Netflix for a while and all these things. I never caught this, but the final part of the opening title sequence is super interesting because you have a line of heroes... Like it, they're squaring off against a line of villains, and they come running at each other. And on the villain side, here they are: there's Magneto, Juggernaut, Warpath, a little green man with a pink head, Pyro, Mystique, Sabretooth, and Avalanche. You got any questions about that, Bob? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, one question might be, <clears throat> what is Warpath doing on the villain side? But Actually, that's not that far out of line, because in the 80s, he was on the sort of villainous team, the Hellions, which was Emma Frost, um, kind of equivalent to the X-Men, who were like the rivals of the New Mutants, who were the predecessors to X-Force. So that's not totally out of line. And then I actually do remember noticing the Little Green Man when I was a kid, but having no idea who he was. I think the popular theory at the time is that it's the Hulk's villain, the leader, whom I'm not very familiar with, but apparently that's not actually the case. To go back to what you were saying a moment ago, yes, Warpath was the first thing I was like, why is Warpath on that side? But I'm going to just get past that. I, I don't know why he's over there, but you gave a good well, like explanation. Like I said, he's a villain in the Yeah, you gave a good explanation. I'll go with it. But little green man with pink head, no clue. No one knows who he is. They just, it was a mistake. I thought I when I looked it up, I thought it was they. Had, yeah, they just drew him in as an extra character. Yes, that he's just there. Like it, it was okay. just. Yeah, and he, he's not from like a, he's not he's, from like some other like Korean or Japanese cartoon or something. No, he's from nothing. Okay. Dude, okay. dude's just there. 
it's just like, what the hell? But see, once they put him there, they thought they could add him again in a later episode. <laughs> so they drew him into like one of the ones where I think it's something to do with sl the slaves, where they're like a. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. When they're on yeah. the you know the island island of Genosha. Just to have like a teeny bit of consistency, they do draw him in that episode as well. Yeah, I think that's where I think that's really the only time we meet Warpath too is on Genosha. I think yeah, a lot of these characters are the only time we see them on Genosha. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, he does. He does look. He does look an awful lot. Not exactly like, but an awful lot like that Hulk villain. Yeah, he kind of. Well, he kind of looks like. Uh, I don't know anything about Dragon Ball Z, but he looks like one of the characters I've seen in like pictures. Okay. So, I don't know anything about Dragon Ball yeah, Z either, yeah. and we never will. So don't even ask. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> never. All right. So we we're still starting at the beginning because yeah. Matt is the be beginning is of most delicate time as Matt. It, it really is. So the first, you got any thoughts on the first mutant you actually see on this show is Sabretooth. I just want to say that that's the most 1992 decision that anyone ever made in 1992. Yeah, I agree. I was like, whoa, there's Sabretooth. Why is he the first person we're going to see in this? And that's what they were going for. Get a big old buff Sabretooth. Got the whole outfit on, everything. Just... You know, Sabretooth has been out of the uh, comics for at least the past two, two and a half years, but they're bringing him back for a miniseries next year. Oh, okay. I like the writer of the miniseries, but I'm not excited that they're sticking him on a Sabretooth miniseries. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's Victor Lavelle. He wrote a really cool knock on Lovecraft novel or novella called uh, The Ballad of Black Tom. So it's really short and really worth your time. So as we go further into the episode, we're introduced to the Mutant Control Agency. Yeah, which I, I thought was a hoot. That that sounds an awful lot like uh, the Central Intelligence Agency. And I, I had not remembered that this had such uh, pointed uh, political overtones. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of, of that in the show for like a Saturday morning kids show. There's like a ton of that. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I said that last week about Pride of the X-Men as I was, you know, granted like the sort of, mutants as an oppressed minority allegory is a very strong part of the franchise but i was still really surprised with how pride of the x-men kind of was going directly after the not just the uh, allegory of mutant hatred being equivalent to racism but also like mutant hatred being equivalent to homophobia they do touch on some really serious topics in all of the in these shows <laughs> it's it's uh i don't know maybe that affected our uh, our outlook on life bob we're so much more uh liberal i think than some would think yeah i mean maybe that's uh maybe that's why the right wing is so concerned <laughs> about the woke cartoons that are corrupting the children maybe that's why they wanted to cancel x-men when we were younger <laughs> <laughs> i i will say even though as you say these are serious issues they're not always treated in a serious way because oh. we uh you know we see jubilee's uh suburban uh, uh foster father you know he says he loves his adopted daughter but man she she torched the vcr and that's just that's just a little step too far, Matt. Like, I mean, you know, you, you love you love your kids and all, but when they destroy your shit. You know how expensive VCRs were back then, Bob? <laughs> what were they? Like two, three hundred bucks? Yeah, Bob, that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money on a on a Southern California income. Yeah, nineteen ninety two. That's a ton of money, Bob. And I mean, you really want to be able to watch your your recorded tapes of the game. Yeah, and then later on in the episode, if you remember, like Jubilee destroys the arcade machine and just turns around and is like, "It cost a quarter." Or, like he, the guy goes, "Like you know how much it cost? Cost a quarter." Yeah, see that yeah. kind of that kind of punk attitude, Bob. That's gonna yeah, get you the, put. That's gonna get you put on a list. 
yeah, these punk kids, just no respect to uh, the delicacies of uh, electronics technology in the early 90s. But but the weird part about going back to the dad, okay, he does this because he's mad because the VCR is destroyed and they know something's weird going on with Jubilee. But then now the Sentinel show up and he's now got, okay, they, the Sentinel puts a huge hole in the side of his house just to get to Jubilee. Who's <laughs> not <Yeah>. there. <laughs> Yeah, the, the kind of casual swath of destruction that the Sentinel cuts is kind of interesting. Yeah, the Sentinel like tries to attack a dog at one point. It's not a mutant, but just goes for the dog. I it might be a mutant dog. You don't know that it's not. It was just barking. And then like they tear up the we, sidewalk and later the mall and they just step on cars. These are not very uh, efficient ways of catching well, mutants in my opinion. I mean, this was the early 90s and, you know, everybody was really down on the government. So as a government initiative, the Sentinels are, you know, just portrayed as being very ineffective. Okay. Well, it's, it's very obvious. I will say I really did uh, greatly enjoy the whole kind of Sentinel, like coming into the mall and uh, Storm, Rogue and Gambit having to fight it. That was uh, quite fun. And we also get this very, uh, very fun thing where storm transforms into her costume and in doing so she's like nearly blowing rogue away it's great yeah uh, that's <laughs> she has apparently she has that same clothes changing ability that colossus had in pride of the x-men like exact same look too like the the way it just comes up over her other outfit same thing happened to colossus in pride of the x-men <laughs> so who were your uh, childhood faves on this show matt i liked wolverine of course you did. Of course I did. I was one of those kids. I liked Wolverine, Bob. Just, he was he was the man. Nobody liked Cyclops. I couldn't stand Cyclops. Yeah, no. This uh, this cartoon poisoned Cyclops for an entire generation. I did like Gambit. Wasn't as into Beast. Who were yours? Uh, Gambit, Beast, and Morph were my big three. Oh, Morph. Morph was a fun character but I didn't understand at the time because he just dies, or he allegedly dies, you know, in that episode. But... Morth is actually based on the character of Changeling, correct? Yeah, who I've never read these issues, but apparently there's an there's an alien invasion coming, and so Professor X feels the need to fake his death, and so he gets a shape-shifting mutant named Changeling to fake his death. And this was way back in X-Men number 35. Yes, yes, and apparently they couldn't call him Changeling in the show, because um, Beast Boy and the Teen Titans was known as Changeling at this point, mm -hmm. and I think they were worried about the conflict, so they went with Morph instead of Changeling. A weird thing, too, though, that I noticed is that the the Changeling from the comics looks a lot like the animated Spider-Man character, the chameleon with the same kind of power, but with a cape. <laughs> I don't know if he looks like him. I think it's just a similar thing of... They both wear these uniforms that come up to the collar, and then you mostly see the, them transform their head over the collar. Yeah, but he's got like a the, the white face of the chameleon. Wasn't that the same? Morph, morph not morph. Uh, the original character Changeling. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know what the original Changeling looks like. I think when you see Morph in Age of Apocalypse, I do think he does have that kind of. Like really, really pale white skin though. But I'm, yeah. I'm not. I don't actually know what uh, the original Changeling looks like. Morph in Age of Apocalypse is more of like an emigration of ch of Changeling and Morph from the and, and animated series Morph. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But Morph was actually originally going to be Thunderbird, 
and they uh, decided they didn't want to kill off like the only Native American character that they would have on the show. Which yeah, that, good that's for them. probably that's probably a good call. Probably a good call. So they didn't put in a Native American character at all. Well, they they have his brother Warpath in, in like one episode, in yes. a, maybe not even in a speaking role. And then what what's uh, well? Do you want to save the point about Beast uh, till later in the season? Since it's I mean, a no, little more relevant then. Well, I mean, I, I, I was just going to say that with Beast, I mean, he, he gets locked up pretty quickly in this episode. We don't see much of him throughout, but yeah, I mean, they have their reasons for it, so we'll talk about those later. One thing I didn't like about Beast, and this is just me being a kid, was his hair was way too similar to Wolverine's at this point. Like, it's not like mm-hmm. that in the comics anymore, but it and it, it always threw me off because I'm like, is he just trying to be like Wolverine? What's the deal? And then uh, <laughs> there was this like Tiger Electronics game where you could choose between either playing as Beast or Wolverine. And all they did was draw lines on Wolverine, like to, to make, to turn Beast into Wolverine, they just drew lines on Beast <laughs> for the mask. <laughs> so I always knew like, huh, their character designs are way too similar. I mean, I think in the early 70s when they first turned Hank McCoy into a more bestial Beast, I think they were kind of going for like a berserker angle with him initially. And yeah. granted that it, that didn't stick beyond maybe a couple of issues, I think, but it is kind of interesting that like that sort of berserker anti-hero was, uh, you know, that, that Wolverine didn't just emerge out of nothing. Right. Like that was a kind of trend that a lot of characters were kind of leaning into in the seventies. So looking at our, looking at your favorite characters here, I, I got to give a shout out to Morph's action figure had interchangeable heads. Which is really cool because you remember Morph had that very basic X Men uniform, you know, with yeah, the yellow thing. Yeah. So when you switched them out, you literally got like a decent Cyclops figure with a neat outfit, and you got a decent Wolverine outfit because, or Wolverine figure because you could switch the heads out and they looked just like him. But then they also had like cracked out Morph. You remember that? Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> dark Morph. Yeah. <laughs> which was, I always thought was a weird choice. I was like, yeah, which Morph do you want to play with today? And you're. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah yeah speaking of uh speaking of kind of humor i do have to say that when jubilee blast wolverine and then because she wants to defend gambit and because wolverine and gambit are sparring in the danger room and then a little bit later when storm is giving jubilee kind of you know talking to slash pep talk slash encouragement jubilee accuses storm and the other x-men of being remedial students both of those were pretty funny moments that is hilarious. Like one thing that I do appreciate about the X Men movies is that there is this very clear distinction between who the students are and who like the X Men are, and that makes so much more sense to me. Like with this, I I just don't see. Or I mean, are they really students at this point? They're all adults, and well, they... I think that was a lot clearer in the in the eighties comics because you had like the adult X Men, and then you had the new the new mutants right. who were like more students and then you kind of got away from that in the early 90s because when Jim Lee came on as the artist he really kind of wanted to reset the book in a kind of nostalgic way to the early days of when Claremont was a writer and that meant more like you know the X-Men being based again in the mansion and you having you know so it's nominally the school but you have this huge team of adult X-Men in the mansion and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense and then the, I think the comics did get back to that kind of dual track. If you've got your young teams and your old teams in the 
mid nineties when you had generation X and then again in like the early aughts when you have the, uh, the variously called like the new, the new mutants, the new X-Men and the young X-Men. But like around that kind of Grant Morrison era, you sort of have a, you know, a really kind of leaning into basically making, uh, the Xavier school like Hogwarts for mutants. Yeah. You really don't have that here at all. You just have more of like the whole, the team lives at the mansion. And if you're accepted into it, you're automatically an X-Men, <laughs> which yep, is the same yep. thing we saw in pride of the X-Men with, with Kitty pride. Yeah. Um, yeah. But another thing, as we've learned from pride of the X-Men in this initial life episode, if you create something called the danger room, you need to make it like much harder to get into because we had the exact same plot points happen here. Uh, you know, Jubilee ends up in the danger room. No issues. She just blasts the door with her firework thing. And then Kitty just phased right into the danger room. I mean, nobody nobody prepared for phasing powers or for fireworks powers, Matt. <laughs> how, how, how could they have prepared for this? And I love the panel that Jubilee blows up, has like a million buttons on it. And she just magically sparks it into opening. <laughs> I will say I was so excited uh, when Rogue said the line. I didn't remember that it was in the pilot. Uh, she's as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Such a great line. <laughs> yeah, Rogue's got some zingers. <laughs> uh, Rogue, Rogue's the best. We need Rogue's like a uh, we need like a uh, a Rogue. I don't know some kind of like something with talking about everything Rogue says. Rogue watch. We'll Rogue watch. Yeah, Rogue watch. Yeah, and we can we can kind of favorably compare Rogue to Robin because Robin has a lot of weird things he says in Young Justice. But even though I really like the Young Justice show, Robin's uh, Robin's like weird catchphrases suck, whereas Rogue is the best. So I did want to ask because the tradition in X Men right is you have a junior female POV character who joins the team, comes to the school, and in the original Lee and Kirby comics, it's Marvel Girl or Jean Grey. In the early Chris Claremont run and in Pride of the X-Men, it's Shadowcat. In the middle of the Chris Claremont run and uh, in the move, in the first movie at least, it's Rogue. And then in the late uh, Chris Claremont run and uh, in the cartoon, it's Jubilee. Do you have a preference between those four for your POV character? Unfortunately, I think mine goes to Jubilee, but it was mainly just because that was the first one I was exposed to. So it was what I compared to everything else. And Marvel Girls, you know, initiation into the X-Men and X-Men number one is, it hasn't aged very well. I'll just put it that no, way. No, no, so, it has not. It has not. <laughs> so it's hard to compare that. And then with Shadowcat, I, I mean, it's not, a bad, it's not a bad story, but back then I thought Jubilees was better. And then I don't, the, rogue, the rogues entry into the X-Men in the movies, I don't, I, I'm not a fan of that. Yeah, I, I, I'd have to go with Shadowcat. I kind of feel I, you know, met Shadowcat from Pride of the X-Men and the, the old X-Men reprints, and I met Jubilee in the cartoon at about the same time. And I, I think I like Shadowcat more. And, I yeah, I didn't read the Marvel Girl or the Rogue as POV characters until a lot later. And honestly, I like both uh, Marvel Girl or Jean Grey and Rogue more as adults than I do as young characters. Yeah. Do you like Jubilee? I know that there's a kind of like real, like a lot of people who watch this cartoon, not only did they develop a hatred for Cyclops, but they developed a hatred for Jubilee. No, I never developed a hatred for Jubilee. I think she's fine. She's a good like character to, you're looking at, 
younger teenagers and kids watching the show, they're, she's more of almost like their, she has their perspective. They yeah, see themselves yeah. in her. So it's I, not that I bad. Did, I did hate Jubilee when I was a kid, but as an adult, I, I'm actually pretty fond of her. Some of that comes from like reading the X-Men comics where she's introduced where like, Basically, the first thing she does is sneak into the X-Men's hideout in the outback in Australia, and she watches Wolverine get crucified by the Reavers, and it's like, <laughs> it's like really fucked up, but it's like a really good story. Well, that was a fantastic so, first episode for this show. What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, when, when Jubilee pulls Wolverine off the, uh, the uh, cross in the shape of uh, an X or in the shape of a St. Andrew's cross, that's, uh, that's good stuff, man. Um, and then I, I also, I, I liked these books as a kid, but I recently like read all of the generation X comics from the mid and late nineties. And that puts Jubilee on a team of other young mutants. And she works really, really well, well there. Like she, I think she works honestly better on generation X than she ever did as a part of the X-Men. Let me say that generation X thankfully brought us our first Jubilee action figure because they made a figure run based on that comic book series and Jubilee was one of them. So thank you for that guys. Let's see, did they do skin and Monet too? I know they did skin. Yes, they did Monet as well. Yes. And they had a Banshee that was not the one that you had to blow a whistle in or whatever. Oh yes. Yes. That, that, and, and did see, did they do, um, did they do sync? I don't know. I have to look that up. They probably sure. didn't do Mondo. I, maybe they probably didn't do husk either although if they did do husk that's hilarious they did chamber yeah chamber's great because i had him he made like sparklies in his mouth yeah <laughs> did, was it clear that the man doesn't have a jaw and upper chest from the figure yeah they made it look all like explosive looking like yeah, yeah. it was it was odd and also those are those generation x uniforms i think are like the best version of the original uniforms because the original uniforms are usually like yellow and black like you see morph in but the the generation x versions are like red and yellow and i think that color scheme actually works better so they had penance phalanx chamber jubilee skin implate ah yes mondo marrow oh, they did do mondo wait, um, wait what was the one after mondo marrow oh they did marrow oh wow, wow. banshee White Queen, and The Protector. Oh, okay. That, there's some deep comic cuts there. I'm surprised. Okay, but they, did, they didn't do Sync. That's unfortunate. Well, they, there was an unproduced, uh, canceled third series that would have had Husk, Hemingway, Ever and Sack. Who is that? <laughs> I don't know that I one. I don't know. M and Sync. This was also the first time White Queen figure was produced. Wow, I didn't realize that. Like, it's uh, was, it, was it safe for children? It's pretty, uh, she's got on those like really high white boots, those thigh high boots and a corset. So yowzer. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, I don't think I would have owned that one. I don't think they would have let me buy that one. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Well, now that we've uh, descended into action figure talk, is it time to jump on over to young justice? Yes. Let's talk about young justice. All right, so in the A-plot of Independence Day, the show premiere of Young Justice, we have uh, Robin, Speedy, and Aqualad, and Kid Flash, and their mentors. And uh, all of the sidekicks are expecting to get inducted into the Hall of Justice on July 4th. 
But first, they have to take down an ice-themed villain. So we have, respectively, Mr. Freeze, Icicle Jr., Killer Frost, and Captain Cold. However, when they actually get into the Hall of Justice, they're all disappointed by their limited access. And so while the Justice League goes off to stop Wotan from blocking out the sun, the uh, three remaining sidekicks, after Speedy storms off, Robin, Aqualad, and Kid Flash go to investigate a fire at the mysterious Project Cadmus. So, quick question for you from the very beginning, Bob. Uh, did you know who Icicle Jr. was? Yes, I did. He is. I didn't know that he was supposed to be the son of this villain. I just thought he was Icicle initially, but Icicle's a Justice Society of America villain from the Golden Age. Yeah, I knew all the other cult themed villains, but I did not know Icicle Jr. had to look him up. He's a he's fun. He's fun. The uh, very kind of whiny. Uh, voice style on Icicle Jr. I mean, it's definitely intentional, but very kind of whiny voice style. With the heroes here, Robin. I think this Robin is Dick Grayson. I think they always go with Dick Grayson from the get-go, even though he's wearing the Tim Drake outfit. What's your take? Yeah, I mean, that is the kind of weird trend of animated Robins, is they tend to go like Dick Grayson, but in a Tim Drake look. Right. And then depending yeah. on when, when it aired, uh, like with this particular, you know, this airing in the 2010s, he he's going to be a hacker. No yeah, got to be a hacker. No matter which incarnation we have, it's it's just whether you're Dick Grayson, Tim Drake, Jason Todd. <laughs> it's, well, I, I really feel like of the Robins, probably only Tim Drake should be a hacker. Oh, yeah, that's what it should be. But it's they, they just yeah. kind of lump him into that. Yeah, and he's even got the little USB plug-in in his gauntlet. <laughs> I, that said, even though I really don't love the fact that they're kind of doing Dick Grayson, but visually is Tim Drake, although we, I guess we don't know for sure that it's Dick Grayson yet, and I don't love that he's such a hacker, I do really love how they play him in that opening scene with Freeze, where he's this kind of like laughing, vanishing ninja that Freeze can't see for several seconds. Yeah, I feel like that's almost a little bit of Damian Wayne in there. Yeah, yeah, there's a little, there's a, not like, this maybe makes it sound too strong, but there's a little bit of, like, playful sadism that's to how he... Very subtle. Yeah, yeah, no, but it's it's a really good touch, and it is in broad daylight, but he's still just totally unseen by Freeze for several seconds. It's a really good, uh, really good bit, I think. At one point, we've got, you know, going back to the characters, we've got Speedy. And one of the spectators says, I see Flash and Flash Jr. His name is Speedy. No, Speedy's Green Arrow's sidekick. And then this other says, well, that makes no sense. I agree. I want to know the same. Why? Why is Speedy Green Arrow's sidekick? <laughs> and Kid Flash is a stupid name anyway. Like, I, I, I actually disagree that Kid Flash is a stupid name. It is such a stupid name. It is awful. I, I am very fond of the Legion, and the Legion early on pretty much gave everybody a kind of boy, girl, last lad, kid name. So I'm, I'm very fond of names that incorporate boy, girl, last lad, kid. <laughs> oh, well, doesn't, doesn't Speedy, doesn't, uh, see, I'm already messing it up. Doesn't Kid Flash get renamed Impulse at some point? Not exactly. Um, Impulse is a different character. And then later, Impulse takes on the mantle of Kid Flash. And then even later, uh, Impulse goes, he might have gone back to being Impulse, but he, he moves from being either Kid Flash or Impulse to being Flash. Very there, there is no reason on earth for any man to say, hmm, 
My name is Impulse. I'm going to change my name to Kid Flash. No person would do that. Hey, so, man, it's about legacy. It's about, it's about <laughs> honoring and, and respecting Declare yourself legacy. the damn Flash. <laughs> well, there already is a Flash. Well, call yourself Flash number two. Who cares? Like, <laughs> Kid uh, Flash is way cooler than Flash number two. Call yourself Lightning Flash. Fla- that's that. That's awful. Why would you suggest that? Because Kid Flash is a terrible name. Kid Flash <laughs> is a great name. <sighs> well, anyway, let's, let's 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 move away from this, Bob. I can't. I, can't I, I do agree with you that it is silly that to call Green Arrow sidekick Spe- Speedy. Call him. And Red I'm Arrow. sure they've come up with a, some retroactive explanation of that in the comics, but I've never read it, so I don't. I don't know what their. I don't know what their thin justification for it is. Call him. Uh, what was. Uh, Robin Hood's sidekick, not Little John, but like Friar Tuck. There's Friar Tuck. Will, Will Scarlet. Scarlet. Call him yeah. Scarlet. There you go. Well, you'll you'll be happy to know that Speedy won't be Speedy for that long. Okay, well that's good to know. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't bother me that much. It's just weird. And yeah, yeah. All right. So I did want to ask, what did you remember about Cadmus from the early '90s Superman comics we used to read as kids? I remembered way more about Cadmus than I should have. Uh, I remember the Newsboys and their stupid flying car. They hey, always... hey, that flying car is awesome, and I am really impressed. You remember the Newsboys? They came out of the sewers with their flying car all the time. Uh, Professor Hamilton, of course, everybody remembers him. I, 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 that's he's Star Labs. What? Hamilton thought... Star Labs. Well, never mind then. Well, I remember that guy. Sorry to get um. star. La- sorry to get my fictional science uh, <laughs> science uh, labs mixed up from the nineties. Then there's Guardian, who yes. I, I really like the the redesign they did for him in this show. I thought it was pretty cool. Dubelex, who I, when I saw him on the screen, I was like, hey, that's the most oddball character they could put in this. I remember that guy. He was the one who like was Superboy's mentor for forever. Yeah. I really like the I really like the redesign of him here. I mean, it's not that overt, but like he's very thin, very tall. The horns are a bit longer than they are in the comics. It's a very cool redesign. I remember Cadmus was really big in uh, like Death of Superman and the Reign of Superman. That was there was a whole thing going on there. A Reign of the Superman. There was a whole thing going on there, uh, and I remember there was a the Death of Death and Return of Superman video game. At the opening level, you were going into Project Cadmus to destroy the creatures that it was building in their underground lab. And then um, I did not know anything about these genomes or whatever they're called. G-trolls, genomes. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if those were really a part of Cadmus in the comic or if they were something the show came up with. I'm not sure about that. Um, Dr. Desmond, who's played by uh, Odo. Yeah, Renee Arbergonis. Yeah. He was interesting. I don't remember anything about him either. He, yeah, as far as I know, he's not associated with Cadmus in the comics. Um, so you you don't remember Blockbuster? Okay, Project Blockbuster. I thought Blockbuster was like a vigilante. Am I getting no, no, that's up? gang? That's Gangbuster. That oh, how could I forget? You're right, Bob. Gangbuster was like the Hispanic dude, right? Yeah, yeah. Jose is his first name. I can't remember his last name, but he he was briefly like a love interest for Lois in the late '80s, early '90s. And then when Superman lost his powers, he actually took on the mantle of Gangbuster. Yeah, yeah. For an issue. Yeah, and then I think you'll remember Blockbuster once you see Blockbuster, but I almost don't want to spoil that for you. Blockbuster. Yeah, I don't can't. don't search it. Just I'm get, not stay I, pure. I will, but I'm just saying Blockbuster is just I, I'm just. Going back to the video store. 
<laughs> oh, okay. That's like all I could think of. I'm like Project Blockbuster. <laughs> Rewind your videos. Yeah. So I th I think Cadmus was originally a Jack Kirby creation when he was uh, on the Jimmy Olsen comic in the 70s as a part of the Fourth World, and that was something that they kind of interestingly did in the late 80s and the early 90s on the Superman books was they really tried to reincorporate a lot of those old. Um, Jack Kirby creations from the 70s. So, oh, well, granted, the Newsboys and the Guardians are actually older than the 70s. I think they go back to the 40s. But, you know, the Newsboys and the Guardians and Dumalex and Cadmus all, you know, they kind of get a prominent role for a while in Superman. They were in like that Your Pal Jimmy Olsen or whatever that comic, I think. Is yeah, Superman's they... Pal Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. And then I also wanted to ask you, what did you think about uh, the new Aqualad? All right, I'm going to just, let me preface this by saying that Aquaman... Aquaman was not cool until recently, okay? So anyone listening right now, Aquaman was not cool. Arguably, he's only cool in a very limited way still. Well, I think that redesigning Aqualad to distance him from the pre-Jason Momoa and Injustice Aquaman was a very smart move. Mm. Because I think had they gone with uh, the old school Aqualad we saw in the the, teen, the Titans episode that we saw, the Teen Titans episode we saw, we talked about last uh, last episode, last podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, it would have been awful. Um, but I really do. One thing I like about this character is I love the water weapons he has, as water bearers or whatever he uses. I think, I think they call a, them uh, water sigils. Water sigils, yeah. They're really cool. I like those. I think that was a great idea. And a good way to incorporate the water without him actually being in water. It's also really good to see diversity in the cast because if they just gone with like a 60s, the 60s all white team. It just would have been stupid. It would have not. <laughs> yeah, they they do actually bring back the the character who was the original Aqualad in a kind of supporting role later in the show, and he's not very important, but he he does show up here and there. How old is he? Uh, the same age, more or less. Oh, okay. So he's actually okay. Because I'm like that. That makes no sense. Because what he just loses. Yeah, I mean, he just, he just my, get kicked my, out. No, he just either he never was Aqualad in the show. Or he wasn't Aqualad for very long. But it, they explain it. But it, oh, okay. it, it, it makes sense. Going back into characterizations here, at the very end of this episode, we're introduced to Superboy. What are your thoughts on Superboy not being the cool 90s guy and being the kind of stoic character instead of like a teenage punk? Well, as much as I love uh, 90s Superboy as a punk, I don't really think that would neatly... Like, you could update it, obviously, but it would still it would have to be changed some for the early teens, right? You couldn't just seamlessly use your '90s Superboy, and I think he already had changed quite a lot in the comics by this point. Although I'm not that up on a, the you know Superboy comics. Yeah. And then I I do want to challenge your characterization. Do you, do you think he's stoic in this? He seems kind of like uh, just eh, he reminds me of the Superboy we see in Titans. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you. It that that'll be kind of interesting to watch develop because there there's ways in which you're not totally wrong to say he's stoic, but I also think that that doesn't really totally capture his personality. Yeah, I mean he hasn't he hasn't said anything really yet, so yeah. it's just like. <laughs> but I'm just saying he's got that look to him like he just wants to kill things. He he's like he's been experiencing deep pain in his little cloning facility thing, and he's just like a. Well, then what did you want to shout out for our uh, choreography corner this week? All right, so the fight scenes in Young Justice are awesome. I mean, just like, you can see how the animation 
has really evolved since the X-Men cartoon. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, the, just all the different things that all, when the ways that Robin attacks, the way that Aqualad uses his, his, his weapons, the arrow tricks and everything are all just well placed and the angles we see them at are awesome. Uh, especially with the Superboy fight at the end, just overall well done. And I just, I, I really appreciate that. They did a great job. I mean, it's like, you don't even see that kind of choreography, I think in the live action Titan show. I mean, it's just not. Yeah. Yeah. Although Titan show does have some good choreography. Oh, it does. Yeah. I'm not saying it doesn't have, but I'm just saying you like, you don't see a lot of the things that you're seeing here that just yeah. really blow it out of the water. And then X-Men's and X-Men's choreography. I mean, it's, it's, it's okay. You have a lot of, you know, the, the weather part, the weather plays a big piece in most of it. Since you have storm, seems like mm-hmm. every other every other action is her using her weather powers to do something different to <laughs> mostly wind. Yes, wind and yeah, or a lightning strike, and then yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I yeah, I guess I would say you. So you you really kind of flag the uh, Superboy attack as being your favorite moment of choreography. I guess I would go with Robin attacking Mister Freeze. But yeah, I think you were right that the the, the fight with Superboy is pretty pretty brutal for a cartoon and pretty pretty well done. And then I, I don't, on the X-Men, um, I don't know, maybe Rogue punching the Sentinel was that my favorite little bit of business from oh, the yeah. X-Men cartoon. Well, and then Cyclops blowing off that Sentinel's head was pretty awesome. It, it yeah. also, it, uh, probably the first time we've seen that kind of force from Cyclops in animated form using his beams. Yeah, because like, he didn't, he didn't seem to use the beams very heavily in Pride of the X-Men. As no. I so this is the first time we've seen this, you know, in motion where it wasn't on the page of a comic. So who is your uh, character of the week? Got to go Wolverine, Bob. Lame. Getting that intro <laughs> to Wolverine, it's like, oh, just nostalgia trip. Boom. That's the Wolverine I love. Not the pride of the X-Men Australian Wolverine. No offense to our Australian listeners, but geez. I, st- I still think Wolverine makes a lot more sense as an Australian, yeah. speaking in broad stereotypes. I mean, this is like, this is the Wolver- this is the go-to Wolverine before Hugh Jackman. It's like, that's Wolverine. <laughs> for me, I think it would have to be Morph for trolling both Wolverine and Gambit this week. It was very funny. Yeah, Morph's, Morph Morph got such a good fan following too. Like people loved him after this. Only like the two is he in the part two at all? Yes, he is. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. He has uh, spoilers, but he hasn't been shot yet. So yeah, so we're, yeah, he's uh, he'll be in part two, but then you don't see him again until much later on. Um, he isn't yeah, too happy yeah. either about being left behind. <laughs> and then what was your uh, episode of the week Matt? oh independence day uh just just a great introduction couldn't wait to watch the next episode nice nice yeah that that would be uh, that would be my choice as well although i do have to say that the nostalgia vibes for night of the sentinels were, were quite nice yeah it's so hard if you tough if you take off your nostalgia goggles i mean it's just like because eh. <laughs> you just i just want to say x-men's the best but no i mean you gotta you got to take off the nostalgia goggles once in a while. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a, a fun first journey down uh, Young Justice versus X-Men 92. Uh, quite fun to revisit both of these uh, great shows. Uh, to review, this is X-Men 92 versus Young Justice. We are a uh, product of, a part of Uncanny Treks. I am Bob in Cascadia. That's Matt in the Southland. Have a great night, everybody. Thank you for listening. <laughs>